Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. We want life to be fair. We want the good guys to win. We want the bad guys to lose. Isn't that the way our stories are told? I mean, nobody wants to go to a movie where the bad guys win, right? Um, I mean, imagine going to Jaws and the shark eats everybody and swims away. Do you want to see that? Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, Frodo's about to throw the ring in the Mount of Doom, and right before that, Sauron smokes him, takes the ring, and destroys Middle Earth. Anybody want to see that movie? It's okay for the movie to end sad. It's not okay for it to end bad. There's a difference, you know. I mean, in the movie Titanic, uh, you know, Jack drowns, Rose survives. Uh, it was sad, but it, was, it wasn't unjust, unless you think Jack could have climbed up on that door and gotten up there with her, and then we've got a whole different set of issues. I can tell you this. If you're at a movie and it ends with the bad guy winning, here's what you've got. You've got a prequel. Because I can promise you that there's another movie coming that's going to solve that problem. We all knew the end game was going to come when Infinity Wars ended the way it did, right? Uh, we all knew that in, uh, in uh, the, the, the middle Star Wars uh, movie, when Han Solo was putting that carbonite, that you're going to get a third movie. Because we can't live with a bad ending. And yet... Because we insist on justice, we want fairness. The problem is, life doesn't work like the movies. And sometimes bad things happen. What do you do when life is unfair? That was really one of the nagging problems that Solomon was dealing with in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's get our Bibles out. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 7, verse 15 through 29 this morning. But Solomon is, you know, he's looking at life under the sun from a natural, humanistic, secularistic perspective. And all he sees is meaningless and vanity and emptiness. And a big part of that is the injustice that he sees in the world. You know, he says, I see a, a foolish guy. I see a wise guy. They both die. They both go to the same grave. You know, I mean, how can that be fair? Uh, bad guys are winning. Good guys are losing. How can that be fair? And he's really struggling. And that begins to really undermine some of, some of the core things about his faith and the optimism that he has for God. And then in chapter 7, Solomon comes to himself. It's like he wakes up. It's like, you know, he's one of these fighters. He's down on the mat. He's, he's taking a hard ride from Tyson. And he's down there completely out when suddenly... He comes to himself, he wakes up, shakes off the cobwebs, and begins to revisit the things that he knew at the beginning. And halfway through this passage, chapter 7, he starts to talk about injustice. And he offers us some insights that are absolutely essential for you to be able to understand life and for you walk by faith when life seems unfair. And that's really the theme of Ecclesiastes 7. He came to a place that you and I have to come to. And here's the first principle that he reveals. Life won't always seem fair. Chapter uh, 7, verse 15. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. So he's like, I've been there, done that. I've seen it all. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. I mean, who hasn't seen this? You have, I have. Why does God seem to let bad people thrive and oftentimes good people struggle. 
we had a guy on our staff uh, named Parker Lee. Parker Lee came up through our college ministry, and then he started serving in our children's ministry. He started as like a summer intern, and then he became a children's ministry assistant and worked there forever. And then he started working in the student ministry as an assistant, and then ultimately became our student pastor. And then God began to speak to his heart about world missions, and Parker had a heart for missions. And so he winds up leaving our church, going training for missions, and he goes to China. And do you know where he goes in China? Wuhan, of all places. That's like, I guess, if God were to call you to Japan uh, in 1945, that'd be like getting called to Hiroshima, you know. Wuhan was the epicenter of the global pandemic. And so Parker's there. He's trying to reach Chinese kids. Um, He's single. um, He's lonely. He's isolated. And he meets a girl that shares his values, shares his faith, and he falls in love. And they fall in love and they're beginning to plan to get married and everything's going the right direction. The ministry's doing well. And then what happens? The Wuhan lab, the worldwide pandemic, and we get all of that after that. And Parker gets word that it's about to come down and he gets out of Wuhan on the last train out. I promise you, it was the last train out. They shut the city down right after that. He gets to America. He's trying to uh, communicate with his fiance. Uh, one thing leads to another, and it became, became apparent after two years, then three years, that he was never going to be allowed back into China, and she was never going to be allowed out. And that heartbreaking, gut-wrenching thing of having to give up on that dream. So Parker refocuses, and he, he applies again. This time he goes to Mongolia. I said, how's Mongolia? He said, Cold. He's in Mongolia, isolated, alone, working. It's a very difficult environment, one of the hardest callings that you could be in. And in Mongolia, uh, he has a little bit of success, but then he meets this girl from South Korea who shares his faith, shares his values. She's over there doing the same thing he is, teaching and and, uh, speaking Christ into people's lives. They meet, they fall in love, they plan to get married, But she can't get to America, and so she has to go back to Korea. They wind up getting married in a quick ceremony, and then she's going to go to Korea, and they're going to fill out all the paperwork and ultimately try to get her back here. Well, last week, you know what happened? Parker went into the doctor for some tests, and they found out he has colon cancer. He's 35. And right now, the prognosis looks good. It looks like it's all contained, and, and we're, we're all very hopeful, but we're all very worried, and we're praying. And he has his surgery tomorrow, so please pray for Parker Lee tomorrow morning. But I look at that, and I go, how is that fair? You know, I mean, if, 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 I'm, the, if I'm the one that determines what fairness really is, I look at Parker Lee's life, and I say, how can that possibly be fair after all he's done, all of his faithfulness, and now here it is with cancer, and from our perspective, it just can't make sense. So what do we do with this when we see a world like this? Well, the first step in understanding this is acceptance. We have to reach a point where we realize life's not going to be fair. In fact, God didn't promise you that life would be fair. 
I learned this from my dad. You know, I was the youngest of three boys in our home. And, you know, my two older brothers would do whatever they wanted to me. You know, I mean, if they want to lock me in a closet all day, I'm locked in a closet all day. There's not much I can do about it. You know, and they got to do things I didn't get to do. And it was always frustrating. And I was always mad. And I remember yelling at dad, that's not fair. And my dad gave me one of the best pieces of advice I could have ever received. He said to me, whoever said life was fair. He didn't try to argue the point. He didn't try to do, he just said, whoever said life was fair. Because my dad knew something that I would later learn. You have to live with the acceptance of that. I mean, I see parents get all twisted off. I've got this teacher and this teacher's unfair and this teacher's doing this and all this. And I'm like, whoever said life was going to be fair. The sooner your kid learns that, the better. I mean, you think he's going to have a fair boss? You think she's going to get a fair shake? There are things in life that are going to happen to us that simply aren't fair. And so we come to this point of that's acceptance. That's how life's going to be. And, and then corresponding to that is we have to release control. Here's the second principle. And I know this isn't set for you because we always want life to be fair. And if it's not fair, we want to fix it. You can't fix it. He says in verse 16, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? So there's two groups here, the overly religious and the overly rational. And, and what he's speaking to is how religion tries to control life spiritually. And I know some people are going to read this and they're going to go, well, see there, I don't need to be too spiritual. I don't want to be overly religious. I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm of no earthly good. You know, kind of a, I love country western music, but one of the themes in country western music is, you know, I'm going to go to church with grandma and I'm going to have Sunday dinner at the house, but I'm also going to party till the sun comes up, you know. And, and they would take hold of that, seize onto that and go, see there? Well, he's not talking about walking with God in complete commitment. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's talking about is trying to use religion as a means of controlling life so that I can make those things which are unfair to be fair. He's talking about overly spiritualizing everything in an effort to control life and God. And that shows up in a couple of ways. Uh, some say bad things are happening to you because you don't have enough faith. If you just had more faith, you would be well and you would be prosperous and you would live in a bigger house and drive a better car and have a prettier wife and you would have better clothes and, and better outcome, better this and better that. And, you, and, and it all comes down to your faith. You just got to plant that seed of faith and know it's going to... Listen, I believe that God blesses those who walk in faith. There's no question that's true. But my faith is not going to keep injustice from my life. There are others on the religious side that say, no, 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 it's not about faith. It's about works. It's about doing stuff. And so you got to go to church and you got to, you know, light the candle, uh, burn the incense, go to the Buddhist temple, turn the wheel, ring the bell, let God know you're doing something. Because if he sees that, then he's going to respond to that. Or they turn it into legalism, like you've got to do this, do this, do this. And then all these good things are going to happen. If you'll do this, do this, do this, your kids are all going to love Jesus. It's called determinism. Look. I want life to be that way. And I do believe that God blesses us when we walk in his counsel. There's no question about that. But blessing doesn't always mean pain-free. 
I mean, pick up the Bible and read it and look at the lives of the great men and women of faith. They weren't pain-free. In fact, if anything, they had more than their share of it. The truth is, you can't control outcomes through religion. And what happens when you try to do that is, you turn faith into superstition. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about turning faith into superstition. Don't be overly religious. And then he said, don't try to be too wise. This is the other extreme. Reason seeks a rational answer. So they look at it and they go, well, uh, A plus B equals C. So if we've got C is injustice, then we need to fix A and fix B. And if we do that, we can eradicate injustice. And education is going to fix everything. We just need to be smarter. If I can just learn more and understand more, then we can control all these things that are causing the inequity in life and we can fix it all. You can't control life through reason either. Now look, I love education, okay? My, my wife's a teacher. My son has a tutoring business. My mom was a teacher. My grandmom was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. My dad was a professor. My uncle was a superintendent. I'm from education, I get it. And I love what education does and I love the opportunity that it provides and we need to make the most of that opportunity. But education will not fix what's broken in our world. It can't do it. And you can't control life through reason. When you try to manipulate outcomes, you simply create unintended consequences. There's this whole notion of equal outcomes and I get it, you know, School systems today and school boards are beginning to embrace the idea uh, forever it was equal opportunity. We want to provide equal opportunity. Every child has the opportunity to grow, to learn, to develop. But then they started looking and they were going, no, they're having the same opportunities, but we're still getting uh, opposite outcomes. How can we fix this? And I understand it. I mean, you look in these homes and you see what these kids are dealing with. It's really, we've got a family problem, y'all. I keep saying it. We've got a dad problem in this world. And these kids are going through these homes and they're, they're so chaotic and they're so disruptive and whether they're neglected or abused or, or all of the above and then they come into the school system and they're, they're not able to take full advantage of the learning and, and the, the educators are all going, well, we've got all these opportunities but we're still getting these unequal outcomes. We've got to begin to push equal outcomes. And it's a, it's a wonderful idea that really would serve the needs of those children. There's just a problem. It won't work. Equal outcome fails to understand one simple fact of life, and that is not everyone is equally gifted or motivated. I mean, there are people who grow up with greater opportunities than I have. Bill Gates is one. He had opportunity to computers and learning. He made the most of it, and consequently, he's Bill Gates. Uh, there are people who grow up in different environments than we do, and we can look and we can be comparative and we can say, well, why is he blessed and why am I not blessed? And you can spend your life in that world, and you will always be miserable and unhappy because we're not going to see equal outcomes. I mean, let's, let's put it into sports, okay? Okay. Everybody's not equally gifted and equally motivated. What if we tried to make sports about equal outcome? I've always wanted to play in the NFL. What if somebody said, I don't think it's fair that Bill didn't get to play in the NFL. So we're going to make a spot for Bill in the NFL. 
despite the fact that I never did anything to earn it and I lack any talent that would make me capable of doing it, they're going to let me have a spot in the NFL. What, what happens as a result of that? Well, first of all, I take someone else who's more deserving, I take his spot, right? Some guy who really ought to be there, who has real talent, and I'm there with no talent, so I'm going to be in the NFL. Secondly, you have put my life in danger, right? Because those guys are freaks of nature, no knock on you NFL guys, but you're a freak of nature. I mean, nobody should be as big as you and run as fast as you and be as strong as you. And the fact of the matter is, you put a 280-pound defensive lineman uh, who can run a 4-3-40, and you give me the ball, you know, all 5-11 of me with my, with my six-flat 40, and uh, you might as well strap me to a railroad track and let a train run over me. It's not safe. And third, if you fill the NFL up with people like me, it's going to be really, really bad. And nobody's going to want to watch it. Equal outcomes just doesn't work, and there are unintended consequences. Even though it's, it's a, a fair idea, it's a wonderful idea, but it just doesn't work because of those consequences. There's a school board, and right now, here's an example, school board in Fairfax, Virginia, who is all in on equal outcomes, and they want all these kids to have the same success opportunities. The problem is not all are equally motivated, not all are equally gifted, and so the gifted kids are actually scoring high on these test results, and they're earning these rewards and these merit scholars and all this other stuff. And when, when Fairfax County School Board saw that, they said, well, this isn't fair because these underachievers aren't getting these awards and think how they're going to feel if we pass out all these awards in front of these underachievers. So they, they received the awards in with the child's name attached to it and didn't tell anybody for two years. In the meantime, these kids that had earned the awards... They graduate, they apply for college, they can't use those awards in college applications or scholarship applications, and so they've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships and applications, and there are schools that were denied to them that would have been accessible to them had they gone. And now the whole world is up in arms because it was a well-intentioned idea, we're going to have equal outcomes, we're going to solve injustice through reason. It just doesn't work. Reason and religion won't fix injustice. You can't control it. Which brings us to that third group. The third group says, I reject reason and religion. I'm going to do whatever I want. Look at verse 17. On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. And don't be an idiot. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? This approach only adds to the misery. You die young. So here it is. At the end of the day, if you have the power... If you see an injustice and you have the ability to resolve it and fix it, then do it. That's our calling in Christ. And we're to be about the needs of other people. But don't ever believe that we're going to solve the whole problem. <clears throat> you have to accept it. You can't fix it. And then learn to live with unanswered questions. Verse 18, it is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth from both of them. I can't throw out faith and I can't throw out reason. You know, when I get sick, what do I do? I go to the doctor and I ask all my friends to pray for me. And when I get well, what do I do? I thank the doctor and I praise the Lord. I hold these things in tension. At the same time, if life is unfair, and here's the challenge, if life is unfair and God's in control of life, does that mean God's unfair? No, God is good. Well, how can a good God allow injustice in the world? I hold these things in tension, right? 
Howard Hendricks once told our class, he said, real test of a first-rate mind is the ability to hold two competing views in tension. I have to hold it in tension. And then be honest with yourself. It's easy to rant and rave about the world. It's easy to talk about the government and the injustice. It's easy to talk about them and they and they're the problem and look at what's going on. The system's unjust. But you know, I'm unjust too. And I think the sooner we admit that, the better. You see, as long as I make it about the system and society and inequity and all that other stuff, I'll never deal with my own issues. I've got to be honest with who I am. I've got, to, I've got to be honest about my own sin. Look at what he says in verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a man more than 10 rulers are in a city. So wisdom's a great thing. I don't reject wisdom. But watch what he says in the next verse. Indeed, there's not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Even smart people sin. Even righteous people sin. You know, when I received Christ by faith, I didn't stop sinning. Grace does not mean that God will from that point on make me instantaneously perfect and holy just like Jesus. He declares me to be holy, but I'm going to still struggle with my old nature. Grace doesn't mean my sins were forgiven and now I'm perfect. It means my sins were forgiven. It's in the perfect tense, which means the action that occurred in the past continues in the present and on into the future. But you have been saved by grace through faith. That's a perfect tense. So it means the sin that I did commit, the sin I currently commit, and the sin I'm going to commit. I've got all the grace I ever need to cover all of that. But I am not righteous. And that's what he says there. There's, there's not a righteous man uh, on earth. And see, my honesty will then change my understanding of injustice. Because here's what we do. We categorize people as good guys and bad guys, Right? And we want the bad guys to get it, and we want the good guys to win. And and what category are you in? Well, I'm in the good guy category, right? Aren't you? Who are they? Well, they're in the bad guy category. So I consider myself to be good, but them to be bad. But then I, I come face to face with this verse that says there's nobody righteous. There's none righteous, not even one. And then I remember what the scripture says about sin and unrighteousness. It says the wages of sin is death. The consequence for performing even one sin is death and judgment. And I'm part of that and I've got that in me and that's what I deserve. But grace gave me what I didn't deserve. Now, now think about this for a second. If I got what I didn't deserve, what do we call that? We call that unjust. I live every day unjustly. There's nothing about me, about my life, that would cause me to experience the blessings that I experience right now. The life I live right now uh, changed everything through, through the grace of Jesus Christ. The Bible says nobody is good. And we like to talk about how tragic it is for a, a good guy to suffer, but is anyone really good? We all sin and come short of the glory of God. We're all under the judgment of God. And here's what that means. I didn't get what I deserved, which was death and judgment. I got what I didn't deserve. And so honesty lets me understand who I am in Christ in a way. The fact that I'm standing here living this amazing, blessed life is an injustice. Are you with me? Because I didn't get what I deserved. 
And that changes everything. What that does is it, it helps me to see myself as I really am. And that makes me more grateful for the good things and less resentful of the bad things. If bad things happen, you know what? I probably deserve that anyway. I had this friend named Harold Locke. And Harold was always so insightful. I got a ticket one time, and, and I was, you know, obviously I deserved it, but I'm, you're still mad. Even when you deserve a ticket, you're still mad, right? And so I'm grousing to Harold, I got this ticket, this guy stopped me, and blah, blah, blah. And Harold said, you know what I do when somebody gives me a ticket? I just smile and say, thank you. I said, why? And he goes, because I think all the times they didn't catch me. <laughs> right? And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. I think about all the times where I deserve something else, but I got what I didn't deserve. And my honesty then allows me to deal with others differently. Also, this is verse 21, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. People are going to talk. People are going to say ugly things about you and your mama. We were in, we were in Ukraine one time and this little boy uh, was playing in a soccer match and all the guys on his team got really mad at him. And we didn't know why because they were his own teammates. And we had this little girl and we said, ask him what happened. Ask him what happened. And she didn't want to talk to him, but she finally did. And she came over to us and we said, what happened? What happened? And she couldn't really tell us what really happened because it was kind of vulgar. But all she said was, he said something bad about their mama. <laughs> and I thought, you know, people do that. Look at verse 22. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Honesty makes me forgiving. You know, when you're misunderstood, when you're hurt. I, I, I realize that I've misunderstood and, and I give them the same forgiveness that I was given, right? And so when we're honest, we're forgiving. Look, life isn't fair. I can't fix that. I have to live with unanswered questions. I need to be honest with myself. And then perspective. I mean, it comes down to this. I just don't know. Verse 23, I tested all this with wisdom. I said, I will be wise. Now, this is Solomon who was the wisest man, but it was far from me. Underline that part. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Uh, why, do good people, why do bad people prosper? I don't know. It's beyond me. That's what Solomon said. Verse 25, I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and understanding reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. This is in the new living. I discovered that a seductive woman is a trap more bitter than death. I think that's, that's an interesting statement in light of the fact that guy had uh, 700 wives and 300 concubines, but it's all her fault. Her passion is a snare, soft hands or chains. Those who are pleasing to God will escape her. But sinners will be caught in her snare. This is my conclusion, says the teacher. I discovered it this after looking at the matter from every possible angle. Look at this. Here it is. Though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Only one out of a thousand men is virtuous, but not one woman. He said, there is so much that I don't know. But here's the one thing he knows for certain. But I did find this. God created people to be virtuous, but they've each turned to follow their own downward path. And consequently, we live in a broken and fallen world where injustice is going to happen. Life isn't going to be fair. And when I expect life to be fair, then I begin to wonder if God is not unfair. Right? And then I ask this question, where is God? It's not really a question of where is God. It's where am I with God? Right? Right? Does he really love me? 
Does he really care about me? Is he really involved in me? How can a good God allow unfair things to happen in this world? And we need this fresh breeze of perspective to put it together. So let's leave the philosophical meanderings of Solomon and let's go to some concrete truth from one of the prophets, Isaiah, in verse 40, chapter 49, verse 14. Zion said, the Lord has abandoned me. The sovereign master has forgotten me. And look what he says. I love this. Can a woman forget her baby who nurses at her breast? Can she withhold compassion from the child she has born? I mean, it's intuitive. It's inherent in a mother to love their child. Yeah, there are some moms that something twists off in them and they can't do that. But look at what he says. Even if mothers were to forget, I could never forget you. And I love this verse, 16. Look, I've inscribed your name on my palms. Your walls are constantly before me. There's a fresh breeze of insight, isn't it? Perspective. Life is unfair. People are cruel. We can't fix it through reason and religion. But despite all of that, God still knows your name and he's written it on the palm of his hand. And he's aware and he's engaged and he's involved. God never promised you that life would be fair. He never promised you that it would be painless. Here's his promise. He would remember you and he would be with you in whatever you go through. And when I remember that, and I remember who I am in light of that, then I walk with a greater sense of gratitude that God has given me a life I didn't deserve And when things happen in my life that are inexplicable and difficult to deal with, and I see it in the lives of those we love, I still know that our name is written in his hand and he's walking me with it. He's walking with me in it. And he's already got a plan for my eternity through it. And one day I'm going to be with Jesus. And we always say, I'm going to ask him when I get there. You know what? I think when I get there, I'm going to be so blown away. I won't have time to ask. And I'm going to look at what he's got in front of me, and I'm going to look back on what happened in this life, and I'm going to say, God, why didn't you get me here sooner? Because this is awesome. Life is unfair, but God is love. And he loves you. He knows you. He's with you. Could you pray with me? Father, thank you for this wisdom of Solomon because it helps us to understand some of the hard things of life. And I pray for those that are going through really hard things right now. And when we do that, we sometimes forget the good things, the blessings. We forget that we've really had it better than we deserved. And these hard things at times can make us want to abandon you. As Solomon struggled, help us to understand Life is unfair, but you're good and you love us. You've got our name in your palm. You've got old Parker Lee's name in your palm. You've got a plan for us. We'll remember that and walk in joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.